But if you would, open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, okay? One of Paul's letters in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians will be in chapter 1. And if you want to use one of the Bibles we provided for you, it will be around page 964, uh, if I remember correctly. So we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, starting in verse 12. And I believe this message will have great relevance, not only for just our lives as day-to-day Christians, but particularly as we embark on this Serve Medford week. I can remember when I was in seminary, I was in need of an iPod, okay? So iPods are not quite as popular these days because we have so many iPhones and iPads and i this and i that, but, but iPod was where it was at for me at that point back in about 07, 08. Uh, I needed to, to get a new iPod so I could download music and sermons and maximize my time, you know, and so, uh, so I took advantage of the technologically advanced world in which we live, and I hopped on Craigslist to see if I could find a good deal on there. Now, for those of you who don't know what Craigslist is, it's a free online classified uh, site where you can buy and, and, and sell basically anything, okay? And so uh, my wife, Marcia, and I, we've, we've actually sold a couple pieces of furniture and, and bought a couple of, you know, items on there. We had pretty good success, but uh, any of you that have dealt with Craigslist know that there are times where it doesn't always work out so well because in reality, you don't know who you're dealing with on the other end end of the equation, you know what I'm saying? And so, uh, so this one particular time when I was looking for this iPod, uh, that proved to be the case for me, all right? So let me share a little bit of an exchange, uh, an email exchange from, between me and this lady. We'll just call her uh, Ms. Anonymous, okay? So, uh, so Ms. Anonymous and I are exchanging emails, and I had, I had asked her, hey, how does $50 sound, which she agreed to. I mean, $50 for what would have cost $200 in the Apple store. I'm really getting excited about this. So, you know, I asked the all-important follow-up question in this next email. Miss Anonymous, before I say deal, let me ask if it's in perfect working condition. My boss had a Nano. Anyone remember Nanos? Yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, So my boss had a nano, and it started messing up after a year and a half. If so, I get off work at 5 and can meet you somewhere if you'd like. I live in Wake Forest. I know that said city in North Carolina, Garner, um, is, um, is on the other side of Raleigh, but I can come and meet you if that's what works best for you. Okay, so, so at this point, just picture this. My yes is now on the table, right? $50, it works, I'm in. To which Miss Anonymous replies at 2.01 p.m., uh, it works fine to me. I have two people coming to my house at 5.30 and another at 6 to get other items. What do you propose? Not sure if this will fit your schedule. So now I take her to mean, hey, it's your iPod. You can come and get it. So my, my yes is on the table. Her yes seems to be on the table. Everything is going great, right? I'm, I'm already you know, dreaming about what music, what albums, what sermons, what preachers, you know, I'm going to put on my iPod to listen to. And I'm kind of, you know, distracted from work at this point, really trying to do all that. And, uh, and then I get another email seven minutes later to which she says, hold on, my coworker may take it. We'll keep you posted. So with these fateful words, she slides her yes off the table, puts her maybe on the table, which, as you might have guessed, really was her no. 
And at this point, I'm a little frustrated, right? Because, I mean, my, my yes is on the table. Her yes was on the table. She took it off. I'm thinking, $50, this is going to be great. New music. New something. And so what, what's going on here? Well, some people might say, you know, well, she just simply backed out of the deal, right? I mean, this is one way. This would be maybe a charitable way to, to put it. She backed out of the deal. Other people might say, hey, she was being uh, disingenuous. She was uh, actually being deceitful, saying that she would sell it and then backing out of the deal. Um, others might say she lacked integrity or a word we find in Scripture that she was insincere. So she, she said she would do one thing, and then she backed out, and in actuality, she, she did another and so as I'm frustrated about that, you know, and kind of stewing on that, you know how we stew about things, right? So I'm just kind of stewing on that for a day or two, telling Marsha, what's up with this lady? You know, she needs to get saved and come to Jesus. She wouldn't, you know, uh, she wouldn't do these things if she did, you know. But, but, but nevertheless, uh, as I'm kind of stewing on this sin of insincerity, God starts showing me ways that I also am oftentimes insincere, so, so it comes oftentimes in these little excusable ways, right? We, we use words of flattery just to kind of build people up. But in, you know, in our hearts, we know that we're probably stretching the reality of the situation, okay? So that's one way that, that insincerity pops up. Another way it surfaces in my life is when I don't follow through on my good intentions. Okay, so, so, so maybe this is the case for you. Uh, at some point in your life, maybe you've said, you know, hey, I'll, I'll take care of that tomorrow, and tomorrow becomes next week, which becomes next month. Okay, kids, maybe you say, mom, you know, I'll take out the trash, I'll do the dishes, and then, you know, you go play video games and never do your chores. Um, and, then, and then even in the church, right? We're very good at this in the church. We really excel at this. Maybe sometimes in, in, unintentionally, but still we excel. We, we say these, these words, I'll pray for you. You ever say that? I'll, I'll pray for you about that. But, but, but there's no concentrated effort after we say, I'll pray for you to really pray for them. And so, so this, this, this reality of, of insincerity surfaces again and again and again. But what I love about Scripture, we love the Bible here at Redemption Hill. Okay? So if you're new at, the, uh, new at Redemption Hill, we just take the Bible every week. We just preach through, teach through what the Bible says, and we try to kind of stay out of the way. All right? So God has spoken in his word, and we just try to say what he said. All right? so, so 2 Corinthians, what we find here in chapter 1 is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is actually charged with being insincere. And so then beginning in verse 12, what he's going to do is lay down a defense of his sincerity, of his integrity in life. And so what I want us to think about this morning is having Christ-centered sincerity. This is what we're going to see in the life of the Apostle Paul, okay? And so my main encouragement, my primary encouragement for all of us this morning is to live our lives with Christ-centered sincerity, complete sincerity, in light of the gospel, okay? Live your life with complete sincerity in light of the gospel. Let's read verses 12 through 14 together, okay? This is what Paul writes. Uh, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understood, 
And I hope you fully will understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. All right, so, so point number one, what I want you to see first from these verses is that Christ-centered sincerity leads to God-glorifying boasting, all right? Paul, his very first words in verse 12 are what? For our boast is this. This is what we're, we're going to trumpet and talk about is, is the sincerity that's in our lives uh, that, that our conscience says is true. Okay. Now, I know some of you who are familiar with the Bible, you're going to say, hold on, Paul, what are you doing here boasting about yourself, boasting about the testimony of your conscience? I mean, after all, James 4, 6 says what? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? So if we lift ourselves up as great, then God will oppose us. But if we humble ourselves, then God will exalt us, right? So, so what's going on here? Well, what we need to understand is the key about our boasting is the object of our boasting. We will either boast in ourselves, in what we can accomplish in our own strength, or we will boast in who God is and what he's done in us that enables us to do everything that we do in life. And so what Paul is doing here is the latter, as we'll see as we unpack these verses. He's actually exemplifying what he told the Corinthians in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, this is what Paul is doing here. So he's boasting about the testimony of his conscience. What are we talking about when we're talking about our conscience, okay? The, the conscience refers to that which help us, helps us differentiate between right and wrong, good and evil. It's that moral compass within us that helps us uh, either approve or disapprove of our actions that maybe we have already committed or that we're considering uh, following through on. So it's this moral judge, it's this capacity that God gives every person, which I believe points to the existence of God, that he gives us this ability to, to, to point right and wrong. And, and so we have this law within us that points to an ultimate lawgiver, right? So, so Paul says that, that his conscience is clear, it's clean before God. And ultimately, this is the case because Hebrews 9 tells us that for those who have received the work of Christ on the cross, his, his death for us, his substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf, it says that we have our consciences purified. Now, this is huge, right? Because we all have walked around. Perhaps you've come in here this morning and you're dealing with, you're battling a guilty conscience. You know that some of your actions, even this week, don't really measure up to God's standard. And so what do we do with a conscience that says, you know what? Hey, that wasn't good. That wasn't right. You shouldn't have said that thing to that person. And then that thing in that place at that time, what do we do? And this is where the cross of Christ makes all the difference for us. That if we come to Christ and take what he has done, on the cross, his blood, sacrifice for us that we can have the forgiveness of our sins 
And, and that leads to a clear conscience before God. He wipes away our sin, completely forgives us. So this is why, on the one hand, Paul could say, hey, I have a clear conscience before God. But then also he could say he had a clean conscience because he continued to pursue a blameless life before God in all that he did. And we see this in four observable ways in verse 14. Look back at this. He says, um, we, we, we acted, I'm sorry, verse, verse 12. We, we behaved in the world with simplicity, Okay, so Paul, uh, his one object in life was to live for the glory of God. So the Corinthians knew that Paul was even willing to, to get a job, work with his own hands, make tents so that he could preach the gospel free of charge. So Paul lived a very simple life so that he could preach the gospel. All right, then he says, on top of that, we acted with godly sincerity. So in other words, we are the genuine article. We had complete integrity before you in the way that we lived our lives. If the, the pure light and fire of God's judgment were to fall on Paul, then, then we would see that he operated from his heart in everything he said and did with integrity. Okay? And those times where he didn't, he would keep short accounts with God right, and, and seek his, his forgiveness. And then number three, it says, not by earthly wisdom. Okay, so he's depending on the wisdom that comes from above. And then four, he says, but by the grace of God. So this helps us understand the question we posed a minute ago. Paul is not, you know, boasting in himself. He's not, you know, congratulating himself, saying, look at me, look at what I can do for God and for you. But he's, he's boasting in the grace of God. Paul loved to trumpet what God has done for him, through him, in him. And so this is why he would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, not yet I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul says, everything in my life, from beginning to end, my salvation, my sanctification, everything that I do, all of my service, it all comes as a result of God's grace. And I hope that that's what you're saying with your own life right now. That's what we're saying with this church. Look at all these people. This is amazing, two years in. And we're saying this is all a result of God's grace to us as a church being rooted in this community. So Paul can boast about the testimony of his conscience, but then he goes on to say, look, you can not only know that I'm being sincere by my conduct, the way that I live my life, but you can also know my sincerity by what I'm writing to you. All right, and this is, this is really helpful. So when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's basically saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not trying to be confusing on what I'm writing. I'm not trying to slip some kind of you know, secret messages in there that, that I'm saying one thing and I really mean another, but Paul is writing plainly so that the Corinthians can understand what he's saying. And you say, well, that's great, Tanner. What does that you know, mean for us in 2013? Well, what it means is that we should read our Bibles the way that the Corinthians were reading this letter right here, okay? So the authors, Paul, Luke, John, Moses, David, they were writing so that people could understand what they were saying. And so we don't take God's word and twist it to mean what we want it to say. We just read it and we receive the meaning, and then we seek to live that out, okay? So I know there's this view that, hey, the Bible's an archaic book. There's no way for us to understand it. It's impossible. Look, we can understand the Bible because God has spoken his word very clearly to us. Now, we need his spirit to help us see 
the, the spiritual truth and the reality of it so we can really live it out and apply it in obedient living. But, but Paul was writing, in his writing, he was, he was writing so that he could be understood. Now, what is, what is sad here is that the Corinthians did not fully understand Paul. Okay, They didn't totally come to grips with, with who Paul was and all that he was trying to see accomplished in their lives. And so he says that in verse 14. He says, look, you, you partially acknowledge us, but I hope that you will fully acknowledge us just as, look at this, just as on the day of Christ, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Now, this truth is so good. All right. Paul says at the end of all things, when Christ returns to judge all people, he says when we enter into eternity, one of the primary things that we are going to do is we are going to boast of one another. All right? So we are going to spend all eternity telling stories of grace, stories of redemption, to say, hey, this is what... This group of people did, July 29th through August 2nd. They showed the love of Christ. They shared the love of Christ. And people's lives were changed because of it. And Redemption Hill, we will boast of these serve teams coming in, and then these serve teams hopefully will boast of us and say, look at what Redemption Hill Church is doing. Man, they were a light in that community. They were, they were um, working on behalf of God's glory there. And we could just play this conversation over and over. That time that you sacrificed of your resources so that someone else's need might be met. That time that you gave an encouraging word so that someone else might be built up. That time that you extended forgiveness when everyone else was saying you should hold a grudge. We're going to boast of one another. But all of our boasting will be to ultimately to point to, hey, this is what God did in us. This is what God did through us. So that ultimately the glory goes to him. We are who we are by the grace of God. So when we live our lives with sincerity, it will necessarily lead to God-glorifying boasting. We can make much of God and what he has done in us because he's enabled us to live this kind of life, okay? Number two, Christ-centered sincerity is motivated by the work of Christ in the gospel. Christ-centered sincerity is motivated by the work of Christ in the gospel, okay? This is so huge. And I hope that you will, you will walk away with this truth today. Let's look at verse 15. I want to read all the way down through verse 22 for us. Paul writes again, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful... Our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Okay, so, so Paul right here is talking about his travel plans. Okay, again, he's been charged with insincerity. Hey, Paul says one thing, he means another. He didn't really mean to come to you. He was just, you know, giving lip service to maybe what you would hope would happen. So Paul says that he was going to cross the Aegean Sea to Corinth on his way to Macedonia, where uh, the city of Philippi is located, okay? That letter to the Philippians that we have in the Bible. And then when he finished his work there, he was going to come back to Corinth and have them send him on back to Judea. This was his plan. But he says that, that he was prohibited from doing this. If we continue to read on 2 Corinthians, he says that he was hindered from this. It was actually to spare them of a, a rebuke that he needed to give them. Okay, so, so Paul instead sends this letter, and, and he, is, he is trying to show them that he really meant what he said. Okay, and the first clue that he gives us is that he says, I, I wanted you to experience a second experience of grace. Now, again, this is, this is so uh, key for us in understanding what the church should look like, all right? When we come together on Sundays, when we gather together in community groups through the week, we'll relaunch in the fall, um, when we serve together as brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be what Paul calls an experience of grace at work because we share the same spirit, Okay? It's what he says in Romans 1, verses 11 and 12. He says to the Romans, I long to see you. Why is that, Paul? So that I might impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Okay, so, so when you gather with other Christians, when you come together, serve together, work together, this should be something that builds you up, it lifts you up, it mutually encourages one another. Okay, so this is the beauty of investing in the life of a, of a church. So Paul says, hey, I wanted to come to you so that you might experience this great, but there were some that did not buy what Paul was saying. So Paul then elevates his argument, he begins to put more strength and force behind it in verse 17 with two rhetorical questions, all right, that anticipate a negative answer each time, all right? So what does he say in verse 17? He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? And he's expecting them to say, no, Paul, you weren't being wishy-washy, vacillating when, you, when, he, when he was making these plans. And then secondly, he says, do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? This takes me back to a lesson that my dad taught me when I was a pretty young boy that his father had taught him as a young child too to instill integrity in his life. He said, Tanner, don't be the kind of person that speaks out of both sides of your mouth. Have you ever heard this expression? So, you know, to, to, the, to the person you say, oh, yeah, I'll take care of that. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. And then, you know, you go off someone else and say, man, this guy's crazy. There's no way I'm taking care of him. I got my own things to do. You know, he can hope it all works out. You know, so it's like we say one thing and we say something else right? Talking out of both sides of our mouths. So Paul's saying, look, that's not me. I, I mean what I say. I say what I mean. And, and if, if the Corinthians had further doubts about this, Paul would just say, hey, look, I'm not in this for the, for the benefits that, that I might gain. 
Because all you have to do is just look at my back. Because the Apostle Paul was whipped and beaten and imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, that the gospel might advance in places like Corinth. So he's saying, look, if you want to question my integrity, just look at my suffering. Look at the way that I'm sacrificing on the behalf of churches just like yours. My word is not yes and no. My word is yes. And then in verse 18... He takes it up as high as he possibly can go, okay? He just ratchets his argument up as, to, the, to the nth degree. And he, and he shows how that for everything in Paul's life, there were theological underpinnings that were, were, were motivating everything, that were providing the foundation for everything. So what Paul's going to say here is he's saying, I do what I do in light of what God has done for me. You got that? It's a great way to live our life. We do what we do in light of who God is and what he has done for us. So he grounds it in the character of God and the work of Christ. All right, verse 18. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. So he's saying this God, this covenant-keeping God, is not a God who says one thing and then does another. God always keeps his promises, and Paul, as an imitator of God, is trying to imitate that in all things. But then, going on in verse 19, he says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Can you just kind of let those words fall on your mind and fall into your heart this morning? In Christ, it is always yes. Always yes. In Christ, God's promises are always yes. They're always true. They're always fulfilled. Which is what he says in verse 24. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Okay, so, so what we need to do here is zoom out all right, to the story of redemptive history, okay? The, the Bible tells us there is a God who created the world in all things. There's one God, and he made the world, and everything that he made was good. He made everything that we see, and he made us in his own image. The problem with our world and the problem with us is that we rebelled against God. The Bible calls that sin. We did not live according to God's intentions, and sin entered the world and that disrupted, distorted, corrupted the world that we live in. So that's why we see problems and sin and evil all around us. And that would be one thing. But then our, our greater problem is that not only is sin all around us, sin is also within us. You got that? So we have sin in our heart against God. And that sin separates us from God, a holy God. That's why we needed Jesus, that sacrifice, his substitutionary death, his perfect life, so that, that through faith in him, if we believe and trust in Christ, we can find redemption. That's why we named our church Redemption Hill. All right, you got it? Because what Jesus did on a hill outside of Jerusalem and crucify, being crucified for us and rising again from the dead, that can that, that work can give us salvation and life and peace and joy if we would receive it. 
So this is the story of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and ultimate restoration. Now, that's the, that's the big picture, the whole Bible. 66 books in like 75 seconds. All right? But if we would zoom in, okay? My, my wife is a photographer, so I'm learning a little bit about resolution and this type of thing. And so, so if you look at a professional photographer, they want to find the lens that can help them focus in on their target and give it the highest resolution, right? So, so when we take the story of God's redemption and we begin to take the lens and focus it in on the centerpiece of the work of God, what we're going to find is when the pixelation kind of becomes clear and clear and clear, we zoom in on the person of Christ. So all of the promises I will be with you. You will be my people. That I will, I will go with you. That I will comfort you. That I will, I will walk with you through the, the deepest and darkest trials in your life. All of the promises of God find their realization and fulfillment in Christ. And so Paul is arguing in a very theological manner here. He's saying, look, as surely as God is faithful, and as surely as Christ has died for us, and he's not a yes and no kind of savior, Paul is saying, look, I am operating in light of who he is and what he has done for me. So this is why we say we are a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the gospel that changes everything. The gospel changes the way, not only that we love God, but the way that we love one another. The gospel changes how we serve one another. The gospel changes our marriages. The gospel changes our generosity. The gospel changes how we forgive. The gospel changes everything, even down to our calendar, our travel plans, our itinerary, what we say, whether it's yes or no. You got that? It's amazing. Christianity isn't very relevant today. You don't know what Christianity is then. It's as relevant as our next breath and it influences everything in our lives. So let me just kind of wind down a little bit, all right? And ask the question, if, if all the promises of God are yes in Christ, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, let me, let me give you three ways, okay? Because we have God's yes in Christ, number one, this changes our view of life because we belong to Christ, all right? Changes how we see everything. Now, because God has promised to be with us, we can have great, great, great confidence and hope in that. Because God has promised, promised to comfort us, we can look to him when we're down and discouraged and really going through it in life. Because God has promised to strengthen and empower you, as we've been talking about in light of the resurrection, there's nothing that we can't do that God has called us to do. Because God has promised to hear us when we cry, we can pray to him at any time, any moment, and know that he hears because God has promised to forgive us, we can rest in his ability to come through on that promise, to know that when we stand before him one day, man, I am in with him, not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done. So are you experiencing 
the fullest measure of God's yes to you in Christ? Are you experiencing all the promises of God, all of the relevance of his promises for your life? They are yes in him. Do you know that in a very full measure in your life? I hope you do. Because God's yes is in Christ Uh, then we see everything differently. Number two, this also changes how we respond to God in prayer and worship. Look back in verse 20, all right? He says, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All right, so, so let's kind of dig down here, okay? This is like not shallow end kind of stuff, okay? This is a little bit deeper into the pool. So, so Paul is saying that God's yes to us is, is true because of Christ, all right? But he's saying in light of God's yes to us, our yes should be back to him, okay? So, so to, to, to kind of grab onto this, this really captures um, what medieval scholar Thomas Aquinas built his whole theology of life around. There was this Latin phrase that says, exitus et reditus, okay? And what that means is that, er- it, that everything is coming out from, okay? Exitus, coming out from, and returning back to, reditus, all right? So, so this is the, the theology of the Apostle Paul. Right? He says, for from him, God, and through him, God, and to him, God, are all things. Romans eleven thirty six. So, so everything that we have in our life is from God, and everything that, that, that we do in life, we operate in the strength that he provides. Okay, When you're serving this week, remember that. Right? It's through him. And, and then ultimately the reason is that our lives are be, to, to be given back to God in praise and honor and glory and worship. So this is what, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, it is, it is through him that we utter our yes, our amen back to God for his glory. So when we say amen, okay, this is not a trite word that we put on the end of our prayers, okay? This is a word that means, yes, I agree, I affirm that. Yes, that is true. I'm on board with that because of who God is and what he's done. If you study the word amen in the, in the, in the New Testament, what you're going to find is that it almost always occurs after doxologies. That means words of praise, okay? So, so when we see what God has done, that should compel us to give our lives back to him in worship and then put amen, yes, it's true, on the stamp of everything that we see coming from God in our lives. John Piper says that amen is the exclamation point of faith. You got that? It's the exclamation point of faith. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is from God, and he receives the glory for it. So because God's yes in Christ Jesus, because his yes is in Christ, then we can see life differently. We can respond to him in prayer and worship. And then finally, particularly relevant to our mission this week, this also changes the way that we serve others, okay? Don't miss the fact that Paul was a servant, 
Okay? He had served the Corinthians in the planting of this church, and he continued to serve them to see this church established and built up in him. And so what Paul wants them to see is that everything that he's doing is loaded with sincerity because he wants to see God at work in this way. And this teaches us the valuable lesson, okay? It's not just what we do, okay? Can you like say that to yourself right now just to like kind of ingrain that? It's not just what we do, okay? It's why we do what we do and how we do what we do. So Paul is saying, look, it's not just that, that I'm making these plans, but it's my heart behind it. Man, my motives are pure. My motives are, are out of love. What I want to do and how I'm going to do what I do is because Christ has changed me and, and, and the weight of, of the gospel is behind all of our acts of service. So, so when you serve this week, just ask yourself, man, is my heart in it? Like, really, like, am I doing it because I signed up to be here? And yeah, I told, you know, John and Tanner that I show up at Community Fun Night and, and do my thing, you know. I mean, we, we do this a lot, but, but are, we, are we really serving out of a heart that loves God and loves other people? Because here's the deal, okay? Here's the deal we need to understand. People can see the difference. People can tell. Are they for real? Are they legit? Are they authentic? Are they doing this just so that, you know, they can make a name for themselves? Or are they doing this because they really love us and care for us? We tell people all the time when we do events in the community, look, it doesn't matter if one person comes back to our church, we'll do this again and again and again. Why? Because we love our city. We want to see our city transformed, built up. Dehati Lewis, a friend who pastors a church in Atlanta, he says the greatest apologetic of our day is authenticity. In other words, what gives credence, what defends what we do is the fact that we do it with an authentic heart. We do it with sincerity. So when you are out serving the community this week, when you're cleaning up parks and inviting kids and families to community fun night, when you're at the Boys and Girls Club serving, when you're at Willis Ave doing the kids camp for, uh, for the kids there, when you're in businesses in Medford serving and, and, and all of this displaying the gospel, remember that they will see not only what you do, but they'll see why you do it. They'll see what is in your heart. And when we do that again and again and again, then it just further backs up what we're saying. It gives credibility, credence to the message of Christ so that we're not only displaying the gospel with what we do, but we're also declaring the gospel, saying, hey, we serve because God has served us in Christ. We love because we have received so much love from God in Christ. We are generous because God has been so generous to us in Christ. And so this is our mission strategy as a church plan, okay? A huge part of our mission strategy is to do everything that we do in love and to show people. We, we love a little quote from, from uh, this lady, Arwen Jackson, who runs a, um, an organization that uh, is, is for victims of sex trafficking, okay? And she says that, that obviously for victims of sex trafficking, they, are, they don't trust anybody, right? What reason would they have to trust anyone? 
And she says, you know what? We will love you longer than you can distrust us. And that, when we heard that, we said, man, that's what we're trying to do in Medford. That's what we're trying to do with our lives. We will love you longer than you can distrust us. And so as you go and serve this week, man, serve with the love of Christ full in your heart. Serve knowing that, that Christ has changed you and you want to affect change in other people and around us in our city. And let me just say this, the greatest service that you can ever do for another person is to tell them about Christ. So as you're serving, yes, we may not, you know, be doing a Bible study in the park every day. We may not be doing a Bible, so we may not, you know, throw out our Bible and you know, as we're washing windows and, you know, quoting verses the whole time, okay? Like, that's okay, by the way. You can just serve, all right? But we always want to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. So share the gospel. Tell people how God has changed you and how he can bring the same change to them. If, if, if the greatest service is to share Christ, then we could conversely say the greatest disservice we could ever do to someone is to withhold this truth from them. So let's be about serving others, sharing the gospel, and proclaiming the glory of God and what he's done for us. The last couple of verses just kind of wrap it up for us. He says, God is the one who establishes us with you. He's anointed us. He's put his seal on us and given us his spirit as a guarantee in our hearts. And so in all that we do this week, let's show the transformative power of the gospel and declare it to others as we go and serve. So let me ask you, do you know this, do you know this gospel that, that changes people and then people change the world? Have you received the, the work of Christ on the cross? If you stood before God, would your conscience condemn you or would your conscience be clean? Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And I hope that you are in with Christ and I hope that because of that, you are ready to go serve the world. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, which gives us life. And Father, we, we need to confess that many times, many days, multiple times a day, we serve, but we serve just to serve. We don't always serve because you have loaded our hearts with your grace and your love. And so God, I pray that this week as we seek to, to love and serve our city, that you would fill us with grace to display Christ in all we say, all we do, and that people would see the sincerity that's in our hearts and that they would, they would not just be grateful, but they would want this salvation that we have found in Christ. So Lord, would, would our worship today simply be a means of grace that, that empowers us, that, that sets us free to, to go out into Medford this week and and to show this, and ultimately in all things, to, to give our amen back to you. Yes, it's true. Yes, you've changed us. Yes, you are worthy of all things. We say amen in the name of Christ.